0: Today's program was brought to you by Blueprint, the original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet. For more information, visit blueprint.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
1: and welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're coming to you live from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to the show live every Thursday at 11 a.m. on heritageradionetwork.org. Today, I am joined by my partner in internet crime, Amy Azarito. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) And um, we're doing a very last minute, but I think important show, inspired by a a difficult day yesterday. Um, I think sometimes when you run a small business, you... There's a, a phrase I keep thinking of that applies to this: is if you mm-hmm. run a small business, there's you can get hit by the carrot or you can get hit by the stick. Ooh. And implying about like you can only get so many you know nudges or warnings to do something before right, you kind of get stick whacked over the head with it. And right, I think sure. yesterday I had one of those days where I've been reminded about and I've kind of mentioned on the shows we've done that the advertising world that sort of supports most of the blogs and online publishing uh, industries that we all mm-hmm. kind of love so much in today's society. Uh, it's just been decimated over the last six months. And it went from being like completely a seller's market um, where blogs were, you know, able to charge crazy, crazy rates, which wasn't entirely balanced right. to a market where now blogs are kind of beholden entirely to brands and have very little say in what happens and makes it a difficult market in which you can be completely transparent and a hundred percent ethical about the things you want to do in order to maintain mm-hmm. trust with your audience. So I had a day where I sat around Cried about it, had a bit of a breakdown, <laughs> and uh, and talked to my better half about it, and then called Amy and was like, "What do I do? This is so stressful." And decided, you know, this would be something that is worth breaking down, mm. figuring out, and talking about in a way that's beneficial not just to us in terms of reimagining the way we support a site that allows us to continue to produce hopefully entirely free content to readers that it doesn't just apply to us. It applies to everybody, whether you're running a small blog or a giant network of blogs, or you're somebody who's continue, or considering running some sort of conglomeration of websites plus videos plus printing. All those things apply right now. And so I think today we'd like to talk about the realities of, mm-hmm. of running a business and a blog and the changing market, how things have changed, and all of the possible ways we've seen people support ventures and how we think those are working. So I want to talk a little bit about the realities of, of running a blog. I right want to jump into and yeah.
2: say that this is like not fully processed. Like it's something that we're still thinking <laughs> about. <that> not obvious. <laughs> <laughs> so this is something that well, I think it's. I don't think we've done a show like this before where it's something like we don't. There's no. There's mm-hmm. not an answer that we actually see, and we don't really know. We just decided to come on and talk about it, and hope that other people maybe are going through the same thing, or it resonates in some way, or we are figuring it out as we talk, but we don't, we're processing. Yeah, I think.
1: it's a good point. I think normally we try to come on here with these like very clear bullet lists of things to pass on as points. And I've definitely got some ideas and I think we've got our own thoughts mm-hmm. on what works and doesn't work and the pros and cons of certain pay systems. But I think it's something we're hoping will spur at least a discussion online about what readers are comfortable with, what publishers right. are comfortable with and what we think you know, the most practical models are for supporting things. Um, We've talked a little bit about the ad system, but just to break it down a little bit, the majority of the lifestyle blogs that you read online, whether they're fashion or beauty or home are supported entirely by ads, which is the same system that kind of tanked shelter publications Mm -hmm. a couple years ago. And we all were like, ha ha ha, that's crazy. They all were so silly to depend on those ads. And when they went away, they couldn't produce content. And it's the same model that the rest of us are building on. Mm -hmm. And I've been talking about I think the last two years saying we've all got to get off this this track and figure out ways to do it. And I think last year when the market changed and people decided they didn't want to buy banner ads anymore and they only want to buy posts, which are sometimes transparent and Mm. sometimes not transparent. um, It really put bloggers in a position to have to rethink the way they do things and whether or not it's worth it for them. And for me, it's been increasingly less and less worth it. But balancing that with needing to pay a team and pay people who produce content for you is a difficult thing. And I think one of the other major things that's changed other than the ad market is the idea that central traffic for websites has changed in a very big way. I think we Mm -hmm. were so used to for nearly 10 years, which is, you know, a pretty... Right, it's a big chunk. Yeah, it's a system that you've gotten used to pretty pretty intensely um, to have that change where people don't just go to websites as often as they used to. They're finding websites through social media. They're finding it through RSS feeds. They're finding it through YouTube channels Mm -hmm. a million different ways, which is fantastic for readers. And in some ways provides bloggers and any online content producer with so many interesting varied ways to provide content also means your audience is divided. And so if you're not selling advertising in every single one of those spheres, you're missing out, and in general, you're kind of missing out because people are getting spread up, and they're using ad blockers and all mm-hmm. of this technology, which is great for readers but bad for online publishers. That's dramatically changed, and I think the demand to produce more areas of content for no pay um, is is pretty difficult. I feel like as online, you know, as more blogs pop up and as more online magazines pop up, people are just used to getting so many different types of content from people that it's just a given that of course you should have like a YouTube show. And of course, you should write a book. And of course, you should do all these things, which take so much time and so much work. And there's just less and less financial support coming in for those things. So for me, that's sort of where I see the market. And the difficult thing is I've talked to lots of bloggers behind the scenes who all kind of feel the same way that this is a little bit terrifying and right. we're watching traffic patterns change and we're watching support financial support for sites change and i think everyone's terrified to sort of admit it out loud right. but i i think the best thing you can do is to actually talk mm-hmm. about it because it lets people share their input you get ideas you can collaborate with people and i think for the most part there's just real value to be had in actually hashing out these things because if you realize you've got this sort of shared issue with somebody else it mm-hmm. helps you just Find sort of a new connection, a new support system. So that's sort of the reason in making this a show today. So we want to break down, I think I have a list of 14 different things I've been seeing on the internet that people have tried to support websites, some more successful than others, but all of which we want to break down. Mm -hmm. The first, and I think the most obvious, is the idea of a subscription website. a great example of that is the New York Times, which mm-hmm. was... I think they're the only ones who can make this work. <laughs> which, and then it's, it's even debatable about how much they've made it work. Right. There was such controversy when it started and how how much traffic they lost when they decided to put essentially a paywall up to say, if you want to read editorial content, like if you want to read all of the interesting thought pieces that the Times is known for, you now have to pay, mm-hmm. pay for that. And then you don't just pay for the online, you have to pay a separate amount for like a tablet subscription and then for mm-hmm. printed subscription, so... All of those things are kind of a big issue. I'm, do you subscribe to anything, Amy? I don't subscribe
2: to the Times. I need to because I keep getting hitting my my 10-article limit and, oh. and getting frustrated. <laughs> but um, the, the interesting thing about the Times, too, is the way their paywall works is if you get a link via social media, it goes around the paywall. So if oh. someone you know puts a link up on Facebook or whatever, mm-hmm. you're, I, I can get it and go around it. But I love the New York Times and um, should support need to need to support them um, because they do the sort of traditional reporting mm-hmm. where they send reporters off into war zones. And that's exactly. sort of one of the things that you have to pay for. But um, they are the paper of record in this country. And so I think that's why I think they're one of the only ones who have mm-hmm. been able to sustain it.
1: And I think it's an interesting example because I feel like a couple years ago when when blogs were kind of getting more attention mm. as being actual publishers or voices of authority, people were noticing how little time, and I mean, obviously this applies to us as well, goes into like copy editing and things right. that like you would get if you had a proper publication right. with like a lot of money and a full team and stuff. And I remember a lot of people would be like, well, we're not the New York Times, like don't hold us to that standard. Right. And I remember thinking like, oh, I understand that logic, but at the same time, I think why wouldn't you consider yourself on par with another organization that's trying to put information into the world? Granted, the levels of seriousness between publications is different. But I think it's important to try to, like, really care about all the levels of content that you're putting out there. And I think it would be interesting to see if there was a blog of record (laughs) that (laughs) that people really respected, um, that people were used to if they would tolerate the idea of a subscription. It's something I'm Mm. like so deeply terrified of because I just imagine this wall going up, people being used to it and then everyone just disappearing and being like, well, forget it. There are 50 other blogs that talk about fashion or hair or home stuff. Maybe they'll just go somewhere else.
2: Yeah. I wonder if even the Los Angeles times could do, I I just think, well, the wall street journal has one too, Mm -hmm. right? So but it's like where people can't get that information exactly. anywhere else. Of course, I'm always like, but wait, I want this style article. Well, mm-hmm. it's not even the like war stories that I. Yeah, I you know the the articles, the serious news that I should be reading. It's it's you know the style section, which actually I don't think is really the content is that different from a lot of really yeah. great blogs out there. I think the style section, yeah. And, um, and the Times is on par with a lot of amazing, I agree, amazing blogs. So,
1: and I think the other thing to consider, and I think this is maybe why no other bloggers have tried this, is that when you're talking about a newspaper, that's content people are already accustomed to paying right. for, even if it's a very small amount, like two dollars for a newspaper or something. Um, people are just used to paying for that. Right. So, if you all of a sudden are taking free content like a blog and saying, "Oh, now this costs whatever," even if it's something small, like ten dollars a year, mm-hmm. which is what I've seen a lot of people try to charge, it's it's just interesting how people just kind of go, eh, oh well, and move on. So I feel like that's my biggest fear with that. Um, And I kind of lump subscriptions into the concept of paywalls, paywalls being like, we're going to put certain sections of the site behind there. And I think that's what the Times originally started with, was the editorials behind there and then expanded it. Um, I, I do think, the idea of a limited paywall is something that might work. I think I could see wedding blogs doing that really well because oh, people yeah, are so hungry true. for that particular type of content and a need for it. Most people reading, for example, a beauty blog or a design blog, they're not in, like you there's no sense of urgency. Yet. You're not like oh, I have to make over my house in one day and if I right. don't find this inspiration, no, like I can't do it. But with wedding blogs, people panic and they want those resource mm-hmm. guides and they want like very particular inspiration and recommendations and things like that that maybe they would feel panicked for. And so if you put that resource guide behind a wall, I could see people maybe contributing some money for something mm. like that. But I feel like there has to be a sense of urgency. Well, it's interesting,
2: I'm jumping ahead, I think, here, but I, I think what wedding blogs have done is they pay, they charge on the other end. So instead of... Because I do love the black book idea. Mm-hmm. Like, I always loved, you know, Domina's black book or whatever. And so wedding blogs um, charge the vendors to be listed in their black books rather than charge the bride's access to the black book which Mm -hmm. could be sort of another way to do it i mean the
1: the difficulty with that i mean i think it's working so far for them is that like the volume of people being vendors is so much smaller than the volume of people reading usually right so you kind of eventually hit this wall of the amount of vendors who can afford to be listed versus the amount of people reading who it probably makes more sense but i think it's it's good and it's a nice and a a sweet thing to do to try to put the cost on the vendors other than right. the readers which is, I think is what most of us are used to but it's
2: weird to me because then it's sort of I mean I understand it and and most of these wedding blogs who do it say that they do vet the vendors but it does seem to feel like oh wait is it really a black book if you have to mm-hmm. pay to get in there whereas yeah. I feel like the other way you might feel like you had some you know if it costs like nineteen ninety-five or 95 or even like five dollars to see like yeah I, I just really heavily discounted that, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, that was a deep discount, but uh, I don't know.
0: Yeah,
1: a I think that's a, it's an interesting one and I, we sort of talked about that as an extension of the idea of just general advertising, right? Like, ways to take vendors and brands that are, would normally be associated with your niche and pay them to be associated mm-hmm. with their blog and we've already talked at nauseum about how that traditional ad market is just dead and now it's all about sponsored posts and I really am so curious and wish there was a way to do like a massive all- like lifestyle blog reading survey to see how much people care about blogs being or blog posts being sponsored because they feel like a certain wave of bloggers who've only been blogging for a few years who kind of grew up for lack of better words in the blog community where sponsored posts were normal don't think twice about it and it's Mm -hmm. no big deal and maybe for all intents and purposes it's not a big deal to readers like those of us who've been around for like a decade now who grew up in a a world where, like, if you had an ad on your blog, period, you got attacked for being commercial. Right. Like, we're just kind of a bit gun shy about the idea mm. of doing too much of that. But I'm genu- generally like, very, very curious about whether or not people actually care about that stuff. I care an awful lot, but maybe I'm just being a stick in the mud. So, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, it'd be
2: interesting. I wish, I, I wish we knew I mean I seem I look at those things and I'm like oh they're getting paid Mm -hmm. to do that okay What's, what's the next post? What's yeah. the next po- you know, like, Where's yeah. like the real post? Because yeah. that's like not the real one.
1: Yeah, and I wonder just what percent of the audience actually cares. Um, before we take a quick break, I want to talk about another concept <laughs> I think we haven't seen done a ton, uh, but I think was done re- in a really interesting way with Jason Kotke's site like way back in the oh, day, right. which is the idea of a donate what you will kind of button mm-hmm. to sites. Do I remember Jason Kotke doing. He um, was like sort of a tech and interesting things blogger. Um, who still blogs and right. um, he raised a ton of money in one year. And then I remember the second year he did it, and it was like a like a pledge drive. The right. second year it was like a third of the amount of money got raised. And I think it was just people just didn't care as much the second right. year about trying to provide an income for somebody. And I think he I remember he wrote this post on it with a graph of like people's general interest in supporting the site versus that. And I think he's come up with a more diversified model of supporting himself. And you were saying Maria Popova of Brain Pickings mm-hmm. does. similar model and I think it's interesting to try to find a way to work in the idea of donating to a site to say pay what you will if you would have normally paid like to buy this in a magazine form maybe you'll donate $10 maybe you'll donate $1 like who knows but I feel like people's ability to tolerate that for like years and years on right. end unless you provide them with something new i feel like if you were to say hey every year i'm going to give you a set of 12 desktop wallpapers," yeah i was or thinking something. i was like you
2: have to have something go along with it or like a yeah I don't know a T-shirt or something. I don't yeah,
1: know. <laughs> and it's like it's like you know when like PBS does a pledge to drive, they offer you all these things in exchange for that, and you get like a DVD of the best of PBS that year or right, something. Exactly. And I think if you offer people something, they see it as a donation towards a general good, but they're also getting a thing. Right. Um. But that thing costs. Well, that I think to make, adds is, to the urgency. Whereas yeah. when you
2: just have a donate button on the site all the time, there's no urgency because it's like it's always there. Um, And they're
1: gonna they're gonna tune it out the same way they would tune out like a banner ad. It's like yeah, if that button's always there. Well and it's not like
2: people are trying to raise money for a specific thing, you Mm -hmm. know, a la Kickstarter. They're just like, in general, help me buy food this month, which is like important, but you know, yeah, and I think that's I mean,
1: I think the idea of Kickstarter and something like that is is definitely an interesting thing. We're gonna talk about that after a quick break. We'll be right back.
0: is the original juice cleanse program to offer different levels of intensity depending on your needs and current diet. Designed to purify and detoxify, Blueprint Cleanse is made from the freshest, 100% raw and USDA certified organic ingredients, cold pressed to retain nutrients and flavor. Blueprint also offers a line of organic juices, cold pressed and raw, in a variety of fruit and vegetable combinations and available in individual bottles blueprint cleanse is available at whole foods market and many other retailers across the u.s to learn more about their line of organic cleanses juices and other products visit them today at blueprint.com or call them at 866-774-6831 that's 866-774-6831 work hard play hard cleanse repeat
1: Hey, welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today I'm here with Amy Azarito, and we're doing a show inspired by the changing nature of the online publishing market and ways in which we've seen people sort of try different models of supporting their publications without relying entirely on advertising, which I think applies not just to bloggers and, and any niche these days, but anybody who's looking to be sort of an expert online or have a voice in the online community who doesn't want to be entirely beholden to one particular sponsor. Um, So before the jump or before the break, we were talking about um, subscriptions, paywalls, donation buttons, traditional advertising, and the idea of paid listing sections and resources. Uh, One thing that's happening right now a lot that I'm so interested and curious about is the idea of selling things, especially if you are an editorial Mm -hmm. publication. Um, We've seen that most recently with Domino being relaunched in this very big way where the web the website is kind of the the primary funding thing. So Domino is now selling everything they write about in the issue, which I kind of wrote about online as sort of an interesting editorial quandary is, right. Is there some curious, like, well, would be people be nervous about? Like, is something being written about because it's being sold or do readers even care about that? Does right. that not matter anymore? Is that like a kind of needlessly old school way of looking at it? Um, but you were talking about how refinery 29 is doing right. a very similar model as well. And I think, selling things is definitely a way to, like, make money probably pretty easily. I feel like people who are selling things are are doing Yeah, I decently.
2: mean, I don't think I have a huge... I think shopping has just gotten increasingly more social, and it mm-hmm. sort of has, which I think it always was. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, if your friend has something and you like it, maybe you want to go buy it in another color or you see someone on the street. But now we have, like, a much broader network um, of people. And so if we see something that someone has it's it's nice to be able or someone we trust recommend yeah. something and that might be a publication um and i'm fine with them giving yeah a cut. now i personally actually have never bought anything from any of those sites but
1: yeah it's interesting to see i think like lucky magazine's been doing it for a while right. and they've got that app where you can like see something online and buy it immediately and i think for a magazine like domino or lucky where it's like such a shoppable almost like a right. magalog of, of products that works really well and i think refinery is new enough relatively that like the idea of selling things and being that being tied into editorial maybe isn't such an issue right for readers um so i'm i think that's the model i'm honestly very very curious about and i know the idea of selling or even the idea of licensing like monocle does Mm -hmm. um their own kind of branded goods i think that's a really interesting expansion but i think the idea of selling things like selling other people's work is just more immediately financially gratifying or successful Mm. because you don't have to wait to produce things or do it in a way that's so small scale and in complete transparency, um, at Design Sponge, we looked into licensing or not licensing, but like creating our own right. goods that we designed or hired, hired other people to design. And it's so sticky and so complicated. And the amount of money that goes in up front really limits how much money actually comes back. And then mm-hmm. the delay between when you design something and when you actually get paid for it is is years. And so right. if you're looking for a sort of quick way to support your site and keep things going, it's not necessarily the best one for mm-hmm. that. So I think that's a model everybody's going to be trying, and I'm really curious to see how that goes and if readers are, are most interested in something like that. The other area I want to talk about is the idea of sponsors and VC money. Hmm. I personally feel like people don't care about VC money, like like in terms of readers. Like readers don't care if you get an influx of cash as long as the site stays the same. It's not something I've ever considered or been interested in. But I remember when Treehugger sold for like a bajillion dollars, and I think they got VC money before that sale took place. It was interesting because to me, the site didn't really change that Mm -hmm. much. They were eventually bought by the Discovery Network. And I think that the site has kind of continued to stay like a relevant and very important and trusted source for environmentally Mm -hmm. related news and eco-friendly design. And I think Graham, who used to run Treehugger, did a really good job of making sure that the team that was in place there would keep the editorial voice. And that's something that I think is difficult. And you have to be in a position when you're selling a site or accepting VC money to communicate that to the people who are now taking over the site or investing heavily in the site that you have to be able to maintain that voice to maintain the audience which I do think is a bit of a like privileged position like not everybody can just sell or get VC money Um, but the idea of partial sponsors is interesting like um I know like Ramada Lista and Deuce both have had portions of their site brought mm-hmm. to you by something. I think Ramada Lista is now part of like the same media network. Right. And so parts of their site are kind of covered by that. And then Deuce, I think, had that huge, huge community section sponsored by ooh, like, was it like it has a hair thing? Was it like Pantene or um, something was like it
2: Pantene? that? Was it, it wasn't L'Oreal. Huh?
1: No, but it was like a beauty brand. Right. And it was a beauty brand that built this like massive community section for them, which was a, a huge part of the site because that community liked to talk a lot. Um, and I thought that was so interesting because for the most part when I read comments, nobody cared that it was right. like a single brand bringing you something. And I guess my question is always like do readers care or worry about that single brand having too much presence or do they enjoy that it's just one brand they have to listen to rather than like 50 different brands who've sponsored things over the course of a, of a year? Is it more interesting to just be like, oh, okay, this year Design Sponge is brought to us by HGTV or like Crate and Barrel or whatever it is like, is that more palatable to them than the idea of constantly hearing from different advertisers for smaller amounts of money i feel like a single advertiser would bother know. me less i don't know you do i kind of do yeah. if it changed uh, a lot i think that would be interesting like if it was like one year you were sponsored by l'oreal and the next year you were sponsored by i don't know like smart water like whatever it is right i think it would be interesting um I'm not sure. I want to be sponsored by Smart Water. I love them. (laughs) We drink enough. (laughs) (laughs) Smart Smart Water tastes
2: better.
1: It tastes better. It really does. (laughs) So one, we are not sponsored by Smart Water. So make that clear. We are not actually sponsored. We've spent so much money on Smart. Drink a lot of Smart Water. water. (laughs) Um, One thing that's that's I think been done Mm. very successfully is the idea of some combination of in-person events or online classes. Um, I think obviously the best example of this uh, is Bree from Design Love Fest, Mm -hmm. who has built this this. incredible network of constantly traveling in-person classes, which are relatively small in number, I believe, like Mm -hmm. like less than 30 people or something like that, but a very high course entrance fee, which if you multiply that times like 20 cities a year, it's a substantial amount of income mm-hmm. and that's not saying that Brie probably doesn't have like a bit of overhead and things to factor into that but I think it's an incredibly smart model and, and she's so found work too. found a, a way to really brand herself and leverage mm-hmm. the sort of cult following she's got in into an incredibly lucrative business structure and I think that's so fascinating and I think a lot of brands are in the position or a lot of blogs are in the position to build something very similar but it's a huge time commitment it's huge so um, much work especially the traveling portion mm-hmm. of it I mean for her to go to 20 places is just it's a, it's a lot of travel mm-hmm. and to be able to keep up your social media and keep up your regular blog offerings at the same time but I think the difference is Bree is producing like one or two posts a day, I think at the Mm -hmm. most, maybe a little bit more than that, maybe a little bit less at times. And they're high quality posts, but it's, it's a smaller posting amount. And that's something I've been toying with is like, well, should we just be offering two or three posts a day and then put more time into things like that? And then an example of small classes with, um, there are so many of those sites now that offer like uh, online classes where you can either Mm. take a class or you can start your own. um, I think, who, who's oh, Ann Dittmeyer, who we've oh, worked yeah. with for I feel like mm-hmm. we've talked about Ann in the last three weeks. Ann, who w- helps us with sneak peeks, um, who runs a wonderful travel website based in France called Pré de Voyager. Ann has been teaching these incredible um, map drawing classes mm-hmm. on Skillshare and has done so well with them. Amazingly and like thousands of people yeah. are taking, taking these, these things. So if you think about it's maybe less personal maybe it's not but i feel like if people think of it as maybe less personal because you're teaching online versus in person and having this like face-to-face connection but the volume of people that she can Mm -hmm. work with and teach to who don't live in paris is fantastic and it allows her to teach multiple versions of that class without a ton of time put into like a brand new class brand new class brand new class which i think is an interesting model and something that we've definitely been considering and thinking about because i love the idea of being able to teach in person because mm-hmm. I think we all really enjoy the feedback and support you get from talking to people one-on-one, but it's also kind of nice to be able to talk to more people and right. not just the 10 people in front of you. So, um, all right, I don't want to run out of time, but I want to get two other concepts out there. Um, the obvious one is that maybe we should all go back to having second jobs in addition to blogs. And I think we were both talking about um, Vinay Broussard, who runs Brooklyn Bride, uh, which is a great wedding site. Vinay is a full time like interior architect or interior designer um, and still manages to find time to like run this fantastic blog, but is not beholden to sponsors in the same way that the rest of us are, because it doesn't it's not the only thing that holds up her. But
2: I think I I, I don't know. um, But I wonder if she's able to produce the content that she wants to that she because she told me, you know, for example, that she can't do
1: yeah it's hard like to do shoots, shoots it's hard like for that. her to do yeah. photo
2: shoots and things like that um even if she has a great concept for them because she has a full-time job yeah you know, so
1: yeah and it's it's difficult and i think obviously that's a choice everybody has to make and there aren't necessarily full-time jobs out there for everybody who's running a blog based on what it is mm-hmm. i mean i used to be able to freelance right and run design sponge at the same time and felt so secure because i always had some other thing to fall back mm-hmm. on but now freelance writing just doesn't pay anything anymore, let alone what it used to. Um, So it's interesting. The last concept I wanted to throw out was the idea of spokespeople. And that's something Mm. that I think you see so much in the fashion market, for Mm -hmm. example, like, and especially in food as well, like, and beyond just like the Mario Batali's and things like that, people in the food industry who are like representatives for certain brands or throw parties for things get paid very well for being involved with those. And I don't think people seem to question them as like, Oh, they've sold out. And I think a lot of fashion bloggers like love the idea of being a spokesperson for a brand. Like I remember all of those fashion bloggers that were in the TJ Maxx, like mm, Max and yep, yep. campaign. And I remember thinking like, Oh, God, like I'd be so nervous to be associated with that and have readers be like, How dare you like, talk about a big box store or something like that. But I think that's something that the fashion community was like super excited to see people they loved and trusted in commercials. And there are now whole networks that just represent fashion and lifestyle bloggers and try to connect them with these brands and i remember one time we got an email from somebody offering to have us be a light bulb sponsor just <laughs> like oh uh, how no. different our world is <laughs> and um it was like such a, a paltry. it really was like a very small amount of money to do like the shadiest stuff where i was all of a sudden just supposed to constantly mention like a particular light brand of lights spo- light bulbs all the time and like host events where you talked about light bulbs i don't know what that would have even been like but um I think for fashion people in particular, which are brands that tend to have a bit more money, there's, there's room there mm-hmm. to do that. But I'm just always curious to see you know how people react to that as readers and whether or not they care. Or if they're like, sweet, Grace is talking about light bulbs. Got to get those light bulbs. <laughs> Who knows? Um, we wanted to end on sort of a, a thought about just sort of like readers and the idea of traffic versus influence. First of all, I think something that is a very open question in my mind is what do readers actually want these days? do they just want to read your websites? Do they want a mix of things? I think it's something that's at the core of every single one of these different ways of supporting an online business is what does your particular audience want? Mm. We've all assumed that everybody just wants us to keep doing things the way Mm. that they want or they keep wanting us to produce different, types of content. But perhaps that's not what they're actually interested in. I think maybe the value of reader surveys and really getting into analytics has sort of never been more important than it is right now. So those are questions I'm really curious to hear readers answer is like, do you actually want this brand to be present in 10 different spheres, whether it's video and TV and print as well as online, or if you just want people to keep producing web? I think that's a big factor here. Um, And then what are people willing to pay for? That's a big a big question that's still out there and then what value do you put on trust and I think these days the most powerful brands I've seen in online which are like people like uh, Leandra from Man Repeller or Joy who is like the most successful and influential Pinterest person Mm -hmm. ever um, are people who've managed to leverage whatever traffic they have which may not be like you know Joy's blog is I I personally think like way more trusted than like a huge network of blogs like Apartment Therapy because she's a single person with a really clear aesthetic Mm -hmm. that people trust Endlessly, and she's leveraged that engagement and that sort of devotion into a place that allows her to support herself really comfortably and successfully in a way that her readers love. And the same thing with Leandra. I remember we reading we were reading an article about her traffic, and we're surprised that it wasn't like ten billion readers a day because that's what it feels like. And so this idea of traffic versus the value of influence, I think, is something people will really need to look into more as they find these methods of supporting themselves so we wanted to end today's episode by just putting that thought out there that this is actually well it's all kind of scary and finding ways to support things it's actually a really hopeful and interesting place for new businesses because Mm -hmm. if you're just starting out and you're a blogger or an online publisher the value of what you have and being able to build trust from the beginning and keep that at the forefront of what you're building online is so much more valuable in the end because if you look at someone like joy or leandra like they've really managed to build an audience that trusts everything that they say that follows them and their purchasing habits. And it's so much less about numbers than it is about people who are engaged and committed to you. So it's a good place to end things off. And we hope that those of you who are starting new businesses out there are excited and have interesting ideas. And we're so excited to hear what everybody has to say about all of these concepts. So thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next Thursday.